And welcome to Doomsday. I'm Mark. And I'm Rob. And welcome to this last regular episode of the 42 Doomsday podcast where Mark and I will talk about everything. And more. Thank you very much. This is a very rare occurrence when we're both in the same room. I think this is the first time we've actually recorded together, just the two of us. <laughs> How you been? Very good work as well, family as well, and recording the last regular episode of the 42 to Doomsday podcast. That's right. It's a uh, jam-packed show today. First thing we'll touch on is uh, last episode of 42 to Doomsday that uh, I wasn't on with Dave Hoskin. Uh, how did that go down on the forums, uh, Rob? It's delightful to read people's responses to uh, to the interview. You know, obviously, Dave isn't in a position to, you know, spill the goods that the, the full basket of the fruit of his research but uh, and that's not for obvious reasons but I think there was enough in what Dave was you know willing to discuss that indicates that uh, he believes uh, anyway based on his extensive research the interviews that he's conducted that um, that there is hopefully more to come but for whatever reason that Phil Morris is not ready at this time to announce people on both sides of the of the fence were you know at least willing to engage with the interview and some people took some comfort from it some people, you know, used it to, you know, reinforce their own particular opinions. That's fine. Just remember there's good people on both sides, Rob. Uh, <laughs> not. <laughs> now, they've uh, announced a, a special edition of Enemy of the World. Do you think this is the beginning of something uh, extraordinary? Well, if you listened, I suppose, to certain members of the RT or the now defunct RT, um, it was just, this is just an opportunity now that they've been able to do to come out with a special edition. At the time, mm. there was just no time. Or, well, it was a combination of there being no time to actually get a special edition done and the fact that the participants, they knew the participants would start talking about being involved in it. And the news uh, of enemies uh, find and, and webs find would, would, would leak out into the marketplace very quickly. I have opinions on that, but that's their thinking now. And what, even though it's four years later, five years later almost... We're getting a special edition. And potentially a web of fear was muted. I think DWO muted that it was coming out in August. So well, Doctor Who Online has a complicated history with regards to the web of fear. I think it was back in 2007 where they yes. said that they'd come across information that would indicate that web had been found. Now, whether that was Phil feeding information back as part of his researchers and people getting ahead of themselves, I'm not quite sure, but uh, there is a belief that uh, Webb will be the next cab off the rank. And in fact, DWM in its latest issue said that uh, they will be in a position to announce a new classic series release in, uh, coming soon. So it's either the season 12 Blu-ray, yep. which was actually announced for the US market or the North American market yesterday, or it could be a Web of Fear special edition. Now, Mark, if it is a Web of Fear special edition, is there any point doing a special edition if you're missing episode three? It's going to go either animated or recovered live action. They can re-release it, no worries, but the episode three will be either animated or be a recovered episode. So, Do you yeah. think that this is sufficient time to get one 25-minute episode animated? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, because it's supposed to be August, isn't it? So. Oh, that late? Yeah, if, okay. they've, if they've announced it. If they yeah. announce it next month. Yeah. Just going back uh, to the whole secrecy that occurred in 2013, once the episodes had been returned to the BBC, I suppose I'm, you know, I, I quibble the, the need for secrecy and all that sort of thing once the, the episodes are back in the BBC's hands. I, I don't know why you would 
you know, you get them back in March, April, why you then need to wait six months. I think the only thing that saves that is the fact that the anniversary was in November. Yeah. They're trying to hold on to it as long as possible before mm. the news leak. But this n- notion that um, you people need to be surprised, it's a missing, it's a missing, these are missing stories. You, the, the, the surprise or the joy in it comes from the return, not the fact that I'm surprised. I wake up one morning and it's in the paper. Yeah. It just, it, it's just silly and it just makes no sense. Well, isn't Series 11 supposed to be debuting in August anyway? Like, is that supposed to be starting then? So it could be timed. The classic series fans who are hacked off about having a female doctor, this might comfort them. I don't think the, the marketeers of the BBC... Are that clever? Could, more importantly, give us stuff about classic series fans. Even mm. though there was a list released earlier this, uh, this month uh, that, that uh, showed that uh, Doctor Who, the classic episodes, was the top three DVD seller in, in the UK for TV programs. Well, there you go. Uh, beaten out by Game of Thrones, of course, and um, something else, which I can't explain okay. to my mind. It could also be Silver Nemesis Special Edition. They did that as part of that German Seventh Doctor box set, which okay. I've seen a copy of, and um, it's a very impressive box set. Okay. But uh, it wouldn't make me want to buy all the McCoys again. I'd rather just wait for a special edition of uh, Silver Nemesis. I'm sure we'll get that in time, perhaps. Speaking of time, twice upon a time, as usual, 42 of Doomsday are cutting edge. We're going to have a quick chat about the Christmas special two months after it uh, has been and gone. Timeliness is, uh, is critical, uh, clearly. <laughs> Look, we're not going to uh, talk about it much, but we'll have a quick chat about it, give a quick summary of our thoughts on the uh, Moffat era. So, Rob, when did you uh, see it? When did I see it? I believe I saw it uh, whilst I was visiting uh, my annual trek up for Christmas to see my family. Um, so I'm sure I used... <laughs> The, uh, the Wi-Fi at my brother's place to just plough through it. Uh, what, yeah, so that's how I saw it. I saw it uh, after Christmas, well after Christmas. Yeah. Okay, yeah. What about yourself? I actually went and saw it on the cinemas. You went to the flicks? In Boxing Day, yes, because my wife was shopping and uh, I wanted to get out of that, so I thought I'd just go and check that. <laughs> so, you know, you go in there with a chock top and a bottle of water and you sort of sit yourself down and it was fairly actually quite busy. And then before the, the main event starts, you get two sort of propaganda films Uh, One about uh, how great the Christmas special is and also about an overview of the Stephen Moffat era. Directed by Carrie Anne Conway, I don't know. Uh, (laughs) There was a film director who did Triumph of the Will for for Hitler. (laughs) uh, Ellie Rosenthal or something like that. I'm not quite sure. Yeah, so so it's sort of Boxing Day with some fellow fans because I thought that it might excite me. Did it excite you? No. The one positive takeaway I have for Twice Upon a Time was, was the visuals. Um, yes. Rachel Talale, her sense of you know, the visual medium of television is really, really, really good. Yeah. Uh, though, of course, I suppose she has a director of photography who actually holds the camera and points and, <laughs> actually points points and shoots. Points and shoots. Does yeah. the hard work, but exactly uh, right. did it did it at least look good on the? On the it looked fantastic on the big screen. Like as yeah. you said, it was stunning. Other people were gushing about it, and I sort of walked out of it and said, "That's probably the most pointless and plotless Doctor Who story I've seen since Let's Kill Hitler." Before we stick <laughs> knives into the story, <laughs> what, uh, 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 how many patrons were with you? It. Patreons or patrons? <laughs> Don't talk about Patreons. Okay. How many people were in the cinema with about twenty-five? Now compare that to Power of the Daleks. There was more seeing the Twice Upon a Time and okay. Power of the Daleks. And yeah. None of them walked out um, in Twice Upon no, a Time. No, 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 no. Once I buy a ticket, I stay for the whole. <laughs> but I remember you saying for Power of the Daleks, yes, there were some people who did yeah, walk people out. Walked out. Yeah. What were yeah. they expecting? <laughs> I don't know. I think they were expecting something better than shrugging of shoulders and patches of audio <laughs> silence. I don't know. <laughs> I still haven't watched Power of the Daleks, the animated version. Really? I haven't bought it, so I haven't been in the position to This like doesn't it. interest you? I was actually at JB today, and I was looking at the, the shelves, uh, hoping that JB once and for all would sell them all for $5 a piece. <laughs> Not going to happen. And I saw Power of the Daleks there, and I, I looked at it, and I just sort of felt 
an emptiness. I had no desire to pick it up. I'll, I mean, eventually I will buy it, but it's not the real deal. No, it's <laughs> Charles Gordon and his team. I mean, they, they, yeah. apparently they work like absolute trojans to get it, get it done yeah. on the time and the budget they were given. Mm. It's not the real deal. It's, it's just an approximation. Which ties us straight into David Bradley's uh, in, interpretation of the first Doctor. Yes, I have two opinions on that. I mean, look, the cover that Moffat has got in terms of reviving the first Doctor is that it was done for the five Doctors with Richard Herndl. So... In, in regards to that, I can I can sort of live with the idea. What I can't really live with is the fact that Moffat decided to jam down the Doctor's throat a whole lot of nonsense design to make him look bad as some sort of dinosaur from the 60s. Mm. We've got a character, the first Doctor, depicted by William Hartnell, who goes around and has described himself as being a citizen of, of the universe. If, you're, if that is not the more, most progressive thing that you've heard in 60s Doctor Who... A character willing to embrace all aspects, all cultures, all races, all peoples of the universe, then I don't know where you're actually going to find that. And then to depict that particular character as an antediluvian fogey who is go and get the tea, go and clean the whatever, and all that sort of nonsense, and arching an eyebrow at a lesbian reference. Um, Moffat is off his trolley when he does that sort of thing. He is off his trolley. Not only does he you know, trample over continuity by jamming in his own version of it, you know, throughout his tenure. He does this, introduces William Hartnell's work and the character of the First Doctor to make some sort of obscure point. Perhaps it was, you know, designed to call out fans who have similar views with regards to their reaction to uh, Jodie Whittaker's casting. Unnecessary. Completely unnecessary. That said, I was more or less happy with uh, Bradley's performance even though there were some aspects of it I didn't quite like but overall I mean he he wore the costume he he was more or less the first Doctor I didn't think he captured it at all look he was hamstrung a lot with Moffat's dialogue when was the last time Moffat actually sat down and watched the first Doctor story because as you said it's the character he built up was not what I uh, when I watch Hartnell I don't get yeah. that at all. No. And even uh, people are going, well, it's been done before with, with Herndall. I thought Herndall did it. It was more of a homage, but this is actually trying to replace him in a sense. Mm. Mm. Um, I didn't get a lot out of it, and uh, I don't think he captured the spirit of the First Doctor whatsoever. No, no. And it, it, look, the, the First Doctor was there more more of, as a device, really, yeah. to get the 12th, 13th Doctor yeah. to convince himself to go and regenerate. Yeah. What did you think of the story, Mark? What story? Yeah. I think that's basically it. <laughs> it was plotless. It was nothing there. I think that Peter Capaldi has been poorly served by this 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 farewell story in a number of regards. Yeah. I think the the final episode of season um, season ten. Yeah. Would would have been a far better absolutely farewell, yeah. far far better farewell. I mean the, the whole the whole speech that he gives at the end. You know, I thought there would be stars. Just that that that's that's your end point there. That is your end point. Now. You know, you hear that Ch- uh, Chibnall it was, wasn't interested in doing a Christmas special and that, for whatever reason, Moffat wanted to do the Christmas special to keep the tradition going on. Mm. Well, if you're going to do that, give the, give the Doctor a better farewell. Give the Doctor a better, punchier, more poignant farewell. Cramming a whole series of internet, Facebook... Fanwank. Happy, clappy thoughts yeah. as a final speech... Yeah. 
does Kapoor the, uh, the gravest of disservices. It was like it was almost trying to reheat Souffle in some sense about the Matt Smith one because I thought the Matt Smith regeneration scene was actually really good and especially the shock of the change where this mm. was of course he's holding it back again so it's, it's, yeah. it's end of time all over again uh, and I did tweet about it in time during the week because we're showing it uh, where I sit at work yes. I saw the TV screens <laughs> it was on silence and I'm going even when the sound down it's still a piece of shit. Uh, it was appalling I know Moffat had to do this but I thought he could have come up with something a lot better and as you said I think uh, the Doctor Falls was a perfect exit for, mm. for Capaldi and it's sort of going from Sergeant Peppers by the Beatles to Sergeant Peppers by the Bee Gees it was just terrible yeah look yeah. it looks beautiful and again yeah. hats off to Rachel Talale for, yeah. for, for, for crafting a really wonderful looking episode there was that there's that one shot where they go to the Dalek Tower and there's this moon you know it's partially destroyed hanging in the sky and it's mm. sort of um flames are coming from it or it's, it's erupting and that, that looked absolutely beautiful it was very painterly but as for the story you know a complete misfire empty souffle as you've said um really sad to see the capaldi era go out on a very much a whimper the doctor's falls was really Stephen moffat's cage this is finished off like this is that. also his twin dilemma <laughs> it is well it's not great i mean but look it was great to see pearl mackie back a massive surprise that uh, mark gaddis's captain was of course a leftbridge steward at the end wasn't it really i did not see that coming whatsoever and, and what do you think of jenna coleman's uh, very brief appearance by the power of green screen <laughs> <laughs> if I'll go he if Capaldi and her were in the same room together. She looked like she was completely absent. Yeah, she was filming Victoria, which I just finished watching the first two series, and it's fantastic. I do not like Clara whatsoever, Mm. and I put a lot of it down to the actress. Yeah. Having watched Victoria, Mm. and she's working with different material, I actually think, do you know what? She did pretty good. She did pretty good. I I have the same thing. My wife and I are just finishing uh, the last couple of episodes of The Crown. Oh, yes. And and Matt Smith, I I didn't think much of his doctor personally, Mm. but uh, Matt Smith as an actor has grown and grown, and he's really compelling in in The Crown. He's a really entertaining character. Everybody knows our opinions of the Moffat era, long-time listeners. So, look, we're not going to go over and uh, retread over our thoughts, but if you were writing a school report on Stephen Moffat, his approach to the show run of the series. How would you mark it? How would you write about it? Well, um, I suppose, how would I write about it? There are certain subjects that student Moffat excels at, mm. and I would give him an A. I would give him an A or an A-plus on certain you know elements that he, he brings to the series. But overall, I think by the time he left, he had run out of ideas, he had uh, a lot of retreading of ideas, and I, I, I sadly think that he just he spent you know probably two or three years too long. He should have gone with Matt Smith. Mm. I suppose overall maybe a C, a C plus. I mean there are some stories there that are utterly fantastic that he wrote. I mean I love Listen. I watched Listen uh, recently um, when he's on song. You know during the uh, during the RTD era particularly, wonderful wonderful writer. Sometimes so far up his ass he can't see daylight, mm. but when he's on song he's fantastic. When he's not on song, or when he is, you know, so under the pump in terms of doing his, his scripting and, and keeping the show on course and dealing with the BBC and all that sort of thing, he's out to lunch and it's just it's just not there, unfortunately. Yeah. And I, you, you just don't feel it. And again, I would go back to Twice Upon a Time, but I mean, there are other instances through um, his, his tenure where he, 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 you just don't feel it. He's a, he's a, he's, he can be a wonderful writer. I think in the end he just stretched himself too thin and stayed too long. I think I would sum it up by saying when he was good, he was great. And when he was bad, he was awful. And I've actually put down C plus as well. (laughs) So this is completely... uh, We came to that conclusion separately. But together. 
together. I'm glad that he had the opportunity to be the showrunner. I'm glad that he did because I think he deserved it with in terms of I mean his body of work before Doctor Who yeah. and his writing for RTD. But sometimes it's a case of, you know, be careful what you wish for. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and if you look at it, I mean series eight, for the most part, I enjoyed, except for the first two and the last two episodes. Series nine, I did not particularly enjoy things, many three episodes out of that I really liked, but series ten, apart from the Middling Monk trilogy, yeah. I thought was a massive improvement. You know, for the first time in ages I was actually looking forward to watching Doctor Who every week. It would have been interesting to see if, if Moffat had had I mean, I know there were the producers there who are who are meant to be, you know, help him. But I think in terms of the writing duties, I think it's just too much for one person to yeah. you know, to, to write yourself a large number of episodes and then corral a whole bunch of writers themselves and uh, and, 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 and write herd over them. It's just yeah, too much. It is too much. Again, I'm glad that he was the showrunner. I think it can only burnish his career. I think there's, there's more doors opening for him going forward. Um, but just some of the things that he did with the show... I didn't like or appreciate, but, you know, overall a C+. And Mr. Capaldi, sad to see him go? Look, I am genuinely sad to see him go. I thought he had probably another year in him. I would have loved to have seen him um, stay on with, say, Chibnall, but I can understand why he wanted to go, and perhaps Chibnall might not have wanted him, if that's the case. Um, again, I fervently believe that Moffat should have gone with Matt Smith. I think that just it just works. It should work like that. And to have seen Capaldi under a different showrunner with perhaps a different approach... Um, would have been fine but look he gave as from what I can see and what I've read 110% oh yeah I mean his performance was great yeah um, you know I, I really appreciated what he was able to do you know coming in cold to the series in series 8 some of it didn't work for me this, the sunglasses the riding out in the tank with the guitar um, oh yeah that, I yeah. mean but again you know as an actor you basically you know you're given scripts and you, you, you have to work with what you've got basically so yeah yeah, Peter, and of all, of the four uh, new series doctors, Capaldi is my favourite. I'm Capaldi, Eccleston, Smith, and Tennant. That's my order. Capaldi, Eccleston, Tennant, and Smith. Mm, there you go. And the last minute of the Christmas special when Jodie Whittaker uh, made her debut. Excited? When the announcement came last year, uh, just as Roger Federer triumphed at Wimbledon, I <laughs> distinctly recall that. <laughs> Don't ever stay up until 2 o'clock editing a novel and then watching the tennis at the same time. What about a podcast? <laughs> and a podcast. <laughs> we'll talk about that later. Um, when the news come through, I was... It didn't surprise me that she'd been cast because the show had been trending that way yeah. for, for, for a while. Uh, I, I mean, I was outraged when the master became Missy. Mm. But then I suppose, you know, oh, well, you just, you just move on from that. Um, but you know obviously the internet as the internet does was full of trolls screaming abuse and all that sort of thing and not being able to accept the change that I suppose in this day and age was you know probably necessary and maybe a little bit past due but um, I did have some trepidation about you know how how she would how she will be in the role but just for that brief snippet of time that she was on the television where she's uh, you know she sees her reflection in the screen she's brilliant doesn't she yeah I think so at that very moment Hmm. I felt a sort of peace with the decision, but you know, based on five seconds, of course, it's going to be okay. Yeah. It feels like it's going to be okay, but the proof of the pudding will come later this year or early next, I suppose, so we'll just Yeah, see. I watched it like you. I was, I'm okay with it. I think it's setting it up really well, and we'll see what happens. So yeah, yeah I'm actually genuinely excited to actually see what, what, what he does with it. So, and um, for those people who are on my, um, on my Twitter timeline, can you stop posting photos off the set, please? I don't want to know. <laughs> Dread Sinister <laughs> at Dread Sinister. Do not stop it, please. Yes, please block him or uh, what is it? Unfriend him. Mute, mute me, block mute me, me, do whatever you have to, but I don't want to see your bloody photos. <laughs> now, on 42 to Doomsday, 
We've been slightly obsessed, well, some more than others, about the Omni-Rumor. Is that a fair call? Rabid, I think, Mark, is a better term. Yes, the frothing at the mouth uh, is giving it away. Last couple of months, I've been in contact with a uh, collector here in uh, in Melbourne. He's got a couple of uh, interesting uh, film-related items in his collection, isn't that right, Rob? Yes, Mark. What we're going to do now is uh, segue into an interview with, uh, we're calling him Lord Melbourne. Uh, he's going to tell us about uh, these items of interest. Take it away, Lord Melbourne. <laughs> And today we're joined by a special guest who's going to remain uh, anonymous because we don't want him to get hassled. So uh, we're going to call him Lord Melbourne. So welcome to 42 to Doomsday. How are you today? I'm very well, thank you. Excellent. Rob and I are going to ask him some questions about uh, some significant items in his uh, extensive collection. So uh, before we do that, though, Doctor Who, do you want to talk us through when you first started watching it and your love for the program? Interestingly, I got introduced to Doctor Who through my brother. I've got two brothers. And my brother used to watch Doctor Who back in the 60s and 70s. He's a lot older than me. The first episode I saw was uh, Fury from the Deep, episode 3, which scared the bejesus out of me and started a long-life love of the program. So since then, I've actually had a bit of a mission to try and see some of the old programs because of my memories of them back then. Let's talk about the two items that you have in your collection that you were sharing with us on our last episode. Now... We've been negotiating for the last, I don't know, six months about uh, talking about these. So we've got some photos which we'll put up on our blogs and and things like that. But let's talk about the first uh, can here, which is uh, from one of your favourite stories. Is that right? It is. It's um, some of the original filmed um, model sequences for Colony in Space, which I acquired um, probably about three years ago from a private collector. It hasn't been played in my possession because I'm looking after it. I want to make sure it stays in mint condition. But it's the original can, it's got the original film, and it actually is the effect shots with the uh, rocket taking off. So very interesting, and it's um, one of my favourite um, Pertwee stories colony in space um so very happy to have that one so do you know how the person you bought it off do you know how he got uh, possession of it i've got the history of it being purchased through bonham's providence um going back i think to the 90s he bought it and he was actually selling his collection off and i found out about it and purchased it off him okay because inside of the uh, the tin we've still got a uh, looks like a little a yellow card which has got lots of numbers me and rob have had a look at it today and obviously we can't play it but uh, we can validate its existence can't we rob yes we've seen it with our own eyeballs um, it's, it's sitting in the next room at the moment but uh, as you say it's on your phone the photos which we're putting on the blog it looks as if it's just sort of appeared out of the 90s really i mean it's it's uh, it's in the it's in the film cam which has aged nicely the index card which you're referring to is nicely yellowed with um, some what look like rust marks or just some water discoloration perhaps but uh, it's definitely the real deal it's got some markings on the can it says dx and we can't make out one of the letters but it says 114 so i don't know if this was included on the uh dvd when they restored it um i know they had the sequences of the of pertwee swinging at those crazy well the rock things weren't they at the uh Assyrians? Assyrians? Uh, yeah. Yeah. at the monsters of the story <laughs> this next can you have uh in your possession now we're going to preface this and say that there is no film in this can we've checked the contents there is nothing in there however it's the markings on the can that are quite interesting so you want to talk us through how you acquired this can and also tell people 
what is actually uh, on the can. Okay, so I acquired a, a what what is labelled on the can, Doctor Who, the Macra Terror Part Three, Melbourne Dupe can. Um, probably about five years ago, again from another private collector. It is the original can that I believed had one of the dupe copies um, that was um, sent around Australia, perhaps even just Melbourne, and um, for Macroterra Episode 3. It's interesting because the collector that I got it off, he actually purchased it off a guy who had bought the can and probably 200 other cans from the ABC, back I believe in the early 80s when they were selling off, it might have been the late 70s but early 80s when they were selling off all of their cans um, of film, um, getting rid of it because of storage issues. He wanted the cans because he had a huge record collection and the cans were just the right size for vinyl. So he was really keen to buy, I think he bought 200 of these cans and to put his stories vinyl. Unfortunately when quizzed, he just threw out the film, which is really disappointing to hear. It's interesting that these cans were available with their films intact in the early 80s because it's well known that in the mid-70s, dozens and dozens of film cans relating to Doctor Who were returned to the BBC. Mm. So perhaps this is a batch of dupes that weren't part of that, obviously. That's right. The dupe theory has been going around for a while, so are we saying this is potentially evidence that a dupe's in Australia existed. Other than having the film in our hand, it is physical evidence um, that there was a duplicate made of it. Well, that taped note is original to the can, obviously. Absolutely original. Hasn't been changed um, since the can was purchased from the ABC. On the can, it's got markings saying Australian made, uh, also Australian real company, uh, PTY LTD, which... Uh, having, I remember seeing pictures of the recovered episodes of Underwater Menace and Galaxy 4. They were also contained in, in similar cans, which mean they were sourced from Australia, which is also meaning that this is sourced from Australia as well. Uh, on the can, it's also got, please return direct to library after use, and also a code on the side in uh, Dino label. It says J301. Not too sure what that means. I know the production code for Macroterra was J, but it was double J, so episode 3 could be episode 3. We're not too sure, so we could uh, theorise all we want, but I think as this sits on my lap, this can is proof that uh, duplicate prints did exist Absolutely. in Australia at a uh, certain point in time. Now, this episode was shown twice in Australia in 1968 on the 26th of January uh, 1968 in Melbourne and also on the 24th of June 1968 in Melbourne as well. So it could be one of these duplicates prints were made in Sydney maybe and sent around. You would say that, Mark. Now, we're pretty sure that when the person who originally purchased this from the ABC when they disposed of the films themselves, he actually disposed. They're in, they're in, a, they're in a landfill somewhere in Melbourne. Is it, what did you say? that? He, he, there's no indication that he unsold them. They're just gone. Yeah, no, my understanding is that he bought the lot of about 200 um, film cans mm. for his records um, and bought them for about $20 yep. and just threw the film out. And he's saying $20 for the whole palette or $20 for each? $20 for the whole palette. Of 200 Yes. My, my word. Uh, I mean, that sends shutters through you, obviously, as a collector. Mm. It, it really, you know, it'd be nice to think that they were still out there, but um, unfortunately he wasn't interested in film. He was interested in vinyl, and he was just interested in um, maintaining his vinyl in um, film cans. So. And do we know if, when he purchased the 200 do we know if there are any other duplicate 
Doctor Who prints? Not that I'm aware of, because um, that was looked at very carefully by the private collector I bought it off. Um, And this was the only one that had a reference to Doctor Who. Of the whole 200? Yes. Okay. So before you go, though, the Omni Rumour. You've been following the Omni Rumour for a while. We haven't uh, discussed the Omni Rumour, well, maybe for an episode, have we, Rob? <laughs> so what are your thoughts on the Omni Rumour, Lord Melbourne? What, what, what are your hopes and dreams for it? Well, obviously, very happy when the two um, stories came back, Enemy of the World complete and Web of Fear complete, except for um, episode three. But someone who's actually gone out, boots on the ground, checked a lot of archives. I believe he's been to about 40 countries. There's a lot of hope that um, he has found um, a lot of other missing material. I thought what was interesting that came out earlier this year with Charles Norton um, heading that project to try and recover the Morecambe and Wise print adds to the jigsaw puzzle that potentially he has found a lot of films, maybe a lot of it is unplayable and this might be the reason why it's taking so long for what has been recovered to be announced because it seems to me that degradation of these films would be pretty well advanced um, given the age of them and in the conditions they were at in some of the parts of the world they were found. So it's my belief that um, what Charles Norton is doing is significant and hopefully, you know, if he makes some breakthroughs on that project, we might get an announcement sooner or later. I'm hoping this year we might actually find out a little bit more. So Lord Melbourne, thank you very much for joining us on our final episode. I have an empty can of the macro sitting on my lap. Hopefully there are some recoveries announced potentially soon. Uh, we'll all be back on board. My pleasure. It was um, uh, fantastic to come here and share the little bit that I have been able to find in the last you know, couple of decades. We've done a lot of segments over the last four and a half years, Rob. Dozens and dozens of dozens. segments, mate. Uh, Some have been less successful. Uh, who knows? You didn't like that one, did you? I, I hated that one. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, one of our more successful ones is uh, dragged from the archives. Would you agree? I think it's probably been our most successful, other than the top five format, which we've painted it, even though I ripped it off from someone else, but still. And then somebody else has ripped it off from us, so it's all, <laughs> it's all good. Whatever goes around comes around. That's exactly right. Uh, but what we're going to do today is a, a mini uh, drag from the archives. We've got some uh, choice articles from the year 1990 where Doctor Who was all the rage and was gearing up for a very successful decade. Would you agree, Rob? Uh, very, very successful decade, I'm sure. From uh, January 1990, way back when. Now, this is a, uh, a hard-hitting editorial from uh, DWB editor Gary Lee or Levy or Levi or Levy I'm not quite sure which name he, he was going Pastor with Levy. Pastor Levy Pastor uh, Levy this is the editorial from that uh, January 1990 issue uh, I'm just going to skip down to the middle paragraph um, where Gary uh, goes it's hard to believe but John Nathan Turner is now completely relinquished of his responsibilities to Doctor Who which for the time being remains producerless in my mind, J&T will be remembered more for the commercialisation of Doctor Who during the 80s than anything else, which is neither a good nor bad thing. On the one hand, this has led to the virtual raping of the show's <laughs> innocence as businessmen pushed and shoved to cash in on the show's increasingly high profile, especially in America, where this was exemplified none better than by the DWFCA circuses of the mid-1980s, the club's intentions of which always seemed highly dubious to say the least. 
On the other hand, just skating past the whole raping thing, JNT <laughs> is to be thanked for transforming the series into such a remarkable product, albeit complete with the showbiz trimmings he presumably deemed necessary to take it there. As this has made it virtually immune, as proven by the events of the past few months, from cancellation. Now, if only he could have spent a bit more time making sure his latter script editors towed the line. Latter script editors? Then you had two. Yeah, three, really. Yeah. Three, really. Yeah, yeah, three. Yeah, I suppose um, right. Just the whole raping thing. That's a bit extreme. I, I, I can hardly think that the show was innocent in terms of uh, it being commercialised. I think no. from day one, uh, it, the BBC was doing as much as it could to, to capitalise on the on dialect mania and the, 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 the rabid interest in the show. So That's right. I think this is typical Hi- Gary Lee, uh, Lee hyperbole. I mean, J&T, he ratcheted up 13 or 14 notches from where it was. But, I mean, this is where the 80s was going anyway, wasn't it? Well, that's it, really? right. Everything was in yeah. your face. I and mean, for sale. Yeah, I mean, look at Doctor Who now. Yeah, it's, this is... The 80s is nothing compared to what it is now. I mean, you, you know, you walk to any old tat store and are selling anything. You know. Oh, exactly, exactly. So, you know. I mean, J&T uh, was a bit, well, was a trailblazer in that sense, you know, seeing the, the really hardcore commercial aspects of the series. Yeah. The best head of uh, BBC Enterprises they never had. Yes, that's probably... <laughs> might have been his uh, proper place in terms, of, uh, in terms of the show. Yeah. But, um, yeah. I mean, this the, the, the last the last bit of this uh, this paragraph that I read out about making the show immune to cancellation is, of course, well, time has proven that to be wrong at that, at that exactly, stage. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, it's nice to see Gary uh, Lee or Levy has uh, started a decade with uh, lots of new cheer and positivity, isn't it? Really. So, well, yes. Yeah. Mm. Mm. From the same issue, it says Monster Men bid for who? Another front runner has emerged in the quest to take Doctor Who into the next decade. Jerry Davis and Terry Nation, two of the most famous names from the series past, have combined forces in the bid to take on the show. If they succeed, they will not only bring with them a wide experience of TV production, but also a large investment from one of several interested American backers. Positive meeting is the byline there. Jerry Davis, who co-created the Cybermen as well as script editing Doctor Who at the end of the Hartnell and beginning of the Troughton eras, has already had a positive meeting with new BBC head of serials Peter Krugin and is currently in the States getting a possible co-production package together. Several major American companies have expressed a serious interest in financing, in co-financing the show including Columbia and Disney. But the aim would be to make the series over here to retain its fundamental Britishness whilst bringing in a more direct and dynamic storytelling style. Negotiations are still at an early stage, but so far things look very positive after all. What could stand in the way of the combined strength of the Cybermen and the Daleks? Well, obviously they hadn't seen Doomsday by then. Next month, <laughs> we will have an exclusive interview with Jerry Davis. We talks at length about what he uh, would do with the show if, if his big succeeds. These plans include having the whole production shot on film, a wider use of foreign and exotic locations, and an increased episode count. Who could ask for more? That sounds like the new series, doesn't it, really? Well, exactly. I'll just point out that Jerry Davis died 18 months after that interview in <laughs> 1991, and Terry Nation was dead in 97, so... Um, um, yes. You can th- imagine things if they'd gotten up falling apart <laughs> pretty rapidly. Would it have been interesting watching those two televisual giants take on Doctor Who? Um, it would have been, though I think both of the, the used-by dates had basically come and gone, hadn't they? Mm. I think what they would have brought to television was uh, sensibilities from the 60s and 70s, perhaps. Mm. Which is, I'm not, it's not a criticism as such, it's just I, I, I think it's a statement of fact. Mm. Um, and, and their vision of Doctor Who... Probably had sort of you know fixed in amber back in back in those uh, those times. So whether that would have worked for not the nineteen nineties is hard to say. 
Yeah. Had they been able to get the transfusion of cash, and I, you know, you, you always hear when you read these articles about, um, you know, there's other production companies interested in, in, in throwing money at these sort of things. Very rarely does that, any of that happen, especially back then. Wasn't uh, Nation or, or Jerry Davis working on MacGyver? Was it Terry Nation? Terry Nation. He scripted one or two episodes or something like that. He moved to um, the West Coast um, probably because it was warmer than anywhere else. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, again, his, 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 his career in the States never really took off, which is mm. a bit sad. But this might uh, cheer you up a bit. Doctor Who video bonanza to relieve 1990 hiatus. Oh, every time I hear that word, I get uh, <laughs> I get a shiver and it's multiplying. Uh, BBC Video have announced a stunning lineup of new Doctor Who titles to fill in the gap left by the unavoidable 1990 hiatus. Well, it was avoidable if Doctor Who was actually still made on TV and the BBC wanted to do it. So Correct. I don't, yeah, anyway. Um, after the runaway success of the Daleks Twin Pack last June, it isn't surprising to learn that all new titles hail from the 60s. Confirmed for February is the four-episode An Unearthly Child, the first ever Doctor Who story, and the ten-part War Games, the last adventure made in black and white. The latter will be released uh, over two tapes with photographic reference uh, material, uh, particularly colour, decidedly lacking for those stories. But popular artist uh, Alistair Pearson has designed and painted the covers for these tapes. I did uh, like Alistair Pearson's An Unearthly Child cover, even though he did rip it off from the Queen's Miracle <laughs> album. But anyway, it's a pretty good cover anyway. Still from the best. Exactly right. Beeb vid bow to pressure. Uh, also uh, definite are new unedited versions of the uh, Five Doctors and Brain of Morbius in June, the latter of which we are informed will retain its individual episode titles. These two uh, releases indicate that the BBC video are not blind to criticism and will occasionally bow to pressure. However, they will inevitably be rewarded with most fans sure to repurchase complete editions. There are more tentatively less scheduled titles also lined up for 1990. Banking on the runaway success of the Daleks, the six-part Dalek invasion of Earth was bound to materialise sooner rather than later and is mooted for April release along with the five-episode The Mind Robber the most popular of the existing Patrick Troughton adventures, that the former is to be released over two tapes, as will be the Web Planet, when released hopefully next September, along with the Troughton five-part of the Dominators, is suspicious to say the least. Although it will be anticipated that they will be available at £14.99 instead of £19.99, the Mind Robber and Dominators will be released on one tape apiece. In early January, DWB is to interview BBC Video. If you have any questions regarding BBC Videos, please send them to the editorial address ASAP. I'm just thinking while you're reading that, Mark, much as the Target book came out, which chronicled the, uh, the rise and fall of the Target novelizations, I'm, I'm sure there's an extended essay or, or article or even a pot- potentially a book about the, uh, the travails of, uh, the, of the video and DVD releases. How I think the Pravda did something along those lines. Yeah, I'm sure they did, a, did an article at least. Yeah, it did, did a couple of articles, but uh, yes, I, I, I wiped the Doctor Who uh, DVD and VHS range would be quite interesting to not, read. Not wiped. Not, not wiped. wiped. <laughs> unwiped. Yeah, I remember actually going into Minotaur in, in, in the early 90s and I remember seeing An Earthly Child and War Games on the shelves mm. and I just remember my hand had, had the War Games video it was quite expensive back then. I just started working. And I took it to the shelf and I walked back. I took it to the shelf and walked back and I left it. Probably $50 or something it like that. It was a lot, was lot of money. Was it an imported copy from yeah, the UK? Yeah, because they used to import them. So knowing Minotaur and having worked there, Minotaur uh, Entertainment is a, is a forbidden, style, forbidden Planet style shop here in Melbourne. It's going on for almost 30 years. That's right. Um, 
uh, and having worked there for a couple of years, I know exactly what the margins were at that point. <laughs> and, uh, and importing stuff from the UK basically was a license to print money. So Exactly. I think single tapes were $41 and, mm. and doubles were like 70 I think. Actually, on that score, we, used, we had a customer. We used to get the Star Trek um, videos in. Mm. And we had a, a female customer who used to come in and buy the Star Trek video. She'd buy two copies of the same release, one to watch, one to archive. Little did she know that DVD was just around the corner. Oh, no. But, you know, it was good for the store's bottom line. I know people used to um, buy the videos and then tape them, and, you know, copy them over, so they had a copy of it and put the original away. Well, yeah. um, I, as I've said before, took home a copy of Legopolis and washed it at home and then put it back on the shelf for sale. Uh, so there's somewhere, someone in Melbourne who's got a slightly used <laughs> copy of the VHS Legopolis. If it hasn't already joined the... Uh, Macroterra Film Print 3 in uh, in that landfill, that famous, famous <laughs> Melbourne landfill. Uh, the next article we're going to look at is um, New Books, is the headline. WH Allen have announced their 1990 Doctor Who schedule, which, as always, is bound to chop and change. For the first time in years, there will be a three-month gap during the summer in which no new titles will be published. 1991 looks even bleaker on the book front, with no new stories aired in 1990. However, editor Peter Darville Evans has lined up five large-format book ideas, which... He plans will be released at intervals up to 1993. So the 1990s schedule is as follows: January, Planet of the Giants by Terence Dix; uh, February, Happiness Patrol by Graham Curry; uh, March is the Space Pirates again by Terence Dix, just helping with his uh, tax bill; uh, <laughs> April is Remembrance of the Daleks by uh, Ben Aranovich; May is the Curse of Fenric again by uh, Mr. Briggs. Uh, June and July is there's a dash there so there must be something coming out <laughs> August is the mission to Magnus uh, that's uh, Philip Martin isn't it yeah it's terrible well, apparently yeah I, have, I, have I read that I think I read I tried to read it it was awful September is Battlefield again by Ben Aronovich October Ghostlight by Mark Platt that's Mark with a C November is Survival by uh, Rona Munro most recently heard of in the Eaters of Light mm. and December is the Pescatons by the late lamented Victor Pemberton and we have a mention here of a Dr. Tulloch is working on a sequel to the unfolding text titled The SF Audience. It will include a look at the subculture of SF fandom. You know he was blown up in the 7-7 bombings in London? No. But he's the Australian author, isn't he? I think so. Yeah, he was, when I say blown up, he was, he, he was injured. Oh. He survived. Oh. Um, yeah, no, the 7-7 attacks in, um, well, many years ago now. Jesus Christ, that's not... Mm. I remember getting the, the Plant of the Giants book and getting on the train home, and by the time I got home, I actually finished it. Yeah, they were very quick. They were very, it was a very quick read. Very quick. Uh, is it Terence who wrote that? It was Uncle Terence who yeah, wrote yeah, that, it's yes. Page, uh, script to page, basically. Yeah, so. exactly. But it's got uh, Battlefield, Aronovich, where we all later on actually switched to uh, Platt, because Mark Platt uh, took over writing duties on it. Uh, Aronovich has gone on to um, quite some um, high regard with his um, Rivers of London books. Uh, I think that's Ben Aronovich. Yeah, I think so. Um, speaking of uh, high regard, uh, February 1990 on the cover of DWB has... Uh, she's not looking particularly happy, is she, really? It's a sad face ace. Yeah, it's probably like... Maybe she found out that 42 Doomsday is uh, finishing up with regular editions. Maybe she's <laughs> lamenting the fact of that. It's, uh, it says, Exit Sylvester and Sophie. Doubts are mounting uh, concerning Sylvester McCoy and Sophie Aldridge's future in Doctor Who. In a December issue of the American St. Louis fan... Club newsletter Time Law Times, it's very original. Uh, Sophie revealed that her and Sylvester's contracts for season 27 had been cancelled, and as far as they are concerned, they are not going to be doing Doctor Who anymore. 
While the news is not official, it would indicate that the BBC are bound to pressures from independent companies bidding to take on the series who want a fresh start with a new lineup, despite the fact that McCoy and Aldred clearly work well together. Indeed, Sophie went on to state that even if one of the characters was to continue, both would refuse to return unless they were back in the series together. Such is their allegiance to one another. Well, until a TV movie, anyway. BBC getting cold feet. It has been suggested that the BBC may decide against independent production after all. The influx of outside bids appears to have opened their eyes to the interest shown in the series and the, f- and the fact that, if produced to a high standard, could become a highly rated and popular series again. The delay for an announcement of the series' future could well be because the BBC are reconsidering their options. What can you say to that? I mean, they were fielding um, offers, weren't they, at that yeah. point? And eventually, I mean, th- th- these things, I suppose, in television, especially then, work slowly. Whether they got the right person uh, for the job with regards to the TV movie, um, well, that's for others to determine, but... Um I think they were blinded a bit by the, uh, you know, the Ameri- obviously there was American, you know, they could sell it as American co-production, mm. and, and that's how they got on board. I mean, there's, the, the, the McGann movie's got positives and negatives, so... Yeah, like a lot you of know, Yeah, exactly right, so, uh, yeah. So the next article, Mark, is uh, Krajean commits himself to a winning format. The BBC's head of series and serials, Peter Krajean, has committed himself in no uncertain terms to a future for Doctor Who. In a recent conversation with a freelance media journalist, (laughs) must be a very hungry journal, he stated that although the show had been earmarked for farming out, it is still possible that we will keep it in-house. He revealed it was important to find, quote, a format that will take Doctor Who into the 90s and keep it on our screens for the next 10 years. This could mean using an independent company, but as yet no tendering process has been instigated, although several interested parties have come forward with their own proposals. Under the subheading of major concern, any final decision will be ideas-led on the basis that the, sh- the product that ends up on our screen is his major concern rather than the financial package that funds it. He also made it quite clear that no decision will be made until April or May. Uh, doesn't nominate a year, of course. <laughs> However, <laughs> 2005. <laughs> about right actually mm. however as a man firmly committed to the BBC's independent production quotas which is at present running in advance of its target there must be a better than evens chance that the doctor will go private if the right bid is made uh, written by a DWB reporter so, <laughs> is that Gary Levy <laughs> Doctor Who goes private it sounds like a carry on film doesn't it really oh my god you just read all the stuff now and every month there was articles like this and, and look I'm, I'm sure you know uh, DWB was careful in sort of parceling out these articles to make sure that they had something to say every to- every every uh, every issue, um, whether that was re- regardless of whether there was actually any movement. No, that's right. I mean, at least DWB had other things they could print and talk about. With you know, Doctor Who Bulletin was every month was like it's coming back. No, it's not. It's coming back. No, it's not. So uh, I mean, you got to give the prof to something for for the wilderness years. We're pumping out an issue every month, and in fact, the best issues they did were during the time the show went mm-hmm. on. And, of course, when the show does come back, I think... It's remarkable that it actually DWM survived, or as you say, the Pravda survived during the 90s. I mean, they, they had no show to talk about. They had no show on television, and yet they, they managed to get through, mm. um, you know, for, what is it, 16 years? Yeah, that's it's right. It's remarkable. It yeah. really is remarkable. Yeah. In actual fact, their latest um, figures came out. I think they're averaging about 21, 22,000 issues a month. Tom Spilsbury, I think, made a comment on Twitter that he was quite pleased with that, that they're good figures, actually, in mm. the market as it is today. Which is interesting. I mean, I, I have been, you go into news agencies these days here in, in Melbourne, and a lot of them have gotten rid of their magazine shelves, and, and they're basically are selling homewares. Yes. Which is, you know, they're selling Tesla tickets and and homewares. Yeah. 
which is a real shame because back in the heyday, in my heyday anyway, in the eighties and nineties, there were maga- there hundreds and hundreds of magazines burgeoning, weren't they? For all you know, tastes and. Yeah. Um, it's a real pity that that, with the rise of the internet, magazines are dying. But I mean, I can understand why. But it's a real pity. Yeah, I remember the old days. We used to get Doctor Who monthly, and then used to go and get Zap or Commodore User. C sixty four. C sixty four. Yeah, great magazine. Great yes. magazines. Uh, the good old days. Now, uh, last month in DWB, they reported that uh, JNT had gone, but this title might give uh, doubt to that. It says JNT still hanging on. Following last month's optimistic story, headed farewell JNT, it uh, transpires that JNT is still the guardian of the over Doctor Who for the time being, and still has the final say over, over matters concerning the show, which now amounts to just publicity and merchandising. The BBC press office told us that he had finished with the series when they meant he had completed post-production work on survival and had completed his creative input. Apparently, JNT has not been offered another series to work on, so his producership on who continues into its 11th year. Full stop, full stop. What was JNT's position? He was the last in-house producer for the for, for I think the he was, yeah, yeah. So, as, was he, do we know if he was on a contract or was he like any public servant? Uh, he was made redundant and he, he, got, he, redundant, he got, yeah. a pack, got a package out a of package, it. So yeah. he got a package and then left. But, uh, and I think he did go back and do like small corporate Events mm. for them, but and obviously work with. I mean, you can't stand him hanging on because in the in the absence of any other uh, fallback position, you want you want a wage coming in on a regular basis. Mm. Um, it's just a pity that uh, his career at the BBC sort of limped limped on, um, and basically faded away, didn't it? Yeah, exactly. So the next piece we have here is a comment again from DWB. Uh, anyone contemplating staging a convention should not consider inviting Anthony Anley unless they have substantial resources. It appears Mr. Anley has been to too many US conventions in his time to the point where he contemptuously dismisses the far lower key and non-profit making, though invariably enjoyable, British counterparts. The fact that he lowers himself to writing such nasty and curt replies to invitations from British fans is a reflection of the character he plays on Doctor Who. Although hardly the greatest actor ever to have appeared in the series, the following example of a reply he sent to the South Wales local group last year is so self-righteous it could have been written by the master himself. Quote, You have to be joking. I haven't worked for such a minuscule fee since I was a naive novice, nor do I intend to, with respect. And the thought of leaving my armchair and cosy fireplace in London to entertain 30 people in Swansea on a cold night, leaves me somewhat crestfallen just contemplating it. But well tried, old chap, and better luck next time. Yours chuckling, A. Anley. P.S. If you can only pay peanuts, may I suggest that you hire a monkey. (laughs) (laughs) If this is Mr. Anley's attitude, then I, for one, hope the end of the J&T era also signifies the end of the pantomime master. It's a shame Ainley wasn't hanging around now. He'd have made more money, wouldn't he? My word. Yes. My word. Stick the yeah. knife in. He loved the cash, didn't he, old Ainley? Well, you know, you know you've got to, you got to put food on the table, don't you? Yeah, well, what was that in the feed? <laughs> <laughs> he was his own agent. He had no agent. He just did it all himself. Well, cut out the middleman. Now, moving into uh, March 1990, again with DWB, the magazine that keeps on giving, uh, with a red headline, just to make the point, Demons in Colour. Stop press. February 5, BBC Archives today confirmed they hold all five episodes of the 70s classic The Demons in full colour. Up until now, it was believed that episode 1 was held as a black and white print only, but a full colour clip from this episode shown on the January 28th edition of BBC Two's Box Pop series in colour prompted DWB to look into the matter. BBC Archives revealed that the Demons copy they hold is primarily converted from American prints consisting of 525 lines. 
with the exception of episode 4, which is British Standard, 625 lines. Although the copy is not deemed suitable for televising, only black and white tapes will be supplied to BSB, it is believed it is of a good enough quality to make it onto video. If it wasn't good enough quality, it still would have made it onto video. 1992, they whacked the repeat together. They, they did the, um, the combining of the prints and, and the colour. Okay. And, then, and then a year after, whacked it on a video. And on the video, it was on Terror the Autons, on Demons, and also on Silurians. They put a little, on the spine of it, a little white paintbrush sign to say it had been recolorized. Ah, uh, okay. Yes. Yeah, to, to, to denote that it had been... People yeah. couldn't complain that the archival quality of the picture <laughs> no. wasn't up to scratch. Exactly, exactly. You'd but, been uh, warned with a little paintbrush. Yeah. But I remember there were, there were copies of those flying around, but yeah. they were pretty crap. I mean, mm. I remember having a copy of Ambassadors of Death. It was terrible. You know, mm. it was just, and now look at the DVD. You think it's just, it's just amazing what they've been able to do. Almost as broadcast. This is from uh, DWB April 1990. It said, S26 much appreciated. Although season 26 suffered badly in the ratings, the 3,000 panel of viewers who rate their enjoyment of various programs as a percentage seem to enjoy it. Virtually identical to season 25's and far superior to season 22 and 23. Notice they don't mention 24. Mm. The figures mm-hmm. are as follows. Uh, Battlefield, 69, 68, 67, 65. Ghostlight, 68, 68, 64. Curse of Fenric, 67, 68, 68. And Survival, 69, 69, 70. I feel like it's read out bingo numbers there. The season finale proved the most popular with the public, and it is interesting to note the decline of each subsequent episode, not to mention the sharp fall uh, for Ghostlight's confusing climax. Next issue, they look at all the AI figures for the whole era of the Doctor Who show. Oh, I remember that issue. Mm. One large table, basically. Just one large table, exactly. It's, uh, thank God it wasn't on the internet back then, so mm. there you go. So, yeah, season 26, as I said, the ratings weren't great, but uh, the AI was on the up and up. What's the new series that's getting its 80s, isn't it? High 80s? Um, early 90s? Uh, low to mid 80s. So, but again, it's, it's hard to say whether they're using the same metrics to determine the audience appreciation figures. So, hard to say. I mean, they said 3,000 panel of viewers. I don't mm. know. I think they've only got three. <laughs> Probably Stephen Moffat and his kids. <laughs> Stephen Moffat, Beryl Virtue and uh, one of the so, children. <laughs> and the children. Oh, they're pressing the buttons going ding, 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 ding. <laughs> Very much. Okay, so that was our mini drag from the archives. You've got mail. So since the uh, news of our uh, regular episodes uh, were ceasing, we've inundated with some uh, emails, haven't we, Rob? Celebrating our demise. I mean, uh, <laughs> yes, <laughs> lamenting. I think the word is. Put a post out saying if you want to tell us what you really think of us, mm. and we've had some responses, haven't we, Rob? Yeah, hopelessly self-indulgent, but this is our last episode. So, so who cares? Why not spread the love? Okay, yeah. so the first one we've got here is from Facebook, Gary Akers. Uh, he begins, dear Rob and Mark. The correct ordering, of course. Rob first, <laughs> Mark second. <laughs> The, I'm the Robin to his Batman, apparently. It's the uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, it's the end, but I'm not prepared for it. Though I regrettably have never written in before, I've been a huge fan of your wonderful show for years. I've been a Who fan since first watching Pertwee stories on PBS in the 70s, but living in Southern California, my fandom in those early years was very isolated. So when I stumbled onto a podcast that was revisiting the things that shaped my early Who love, the Target Books, which a local comic shop was importing, uh, Doctor Who Monthly, and of course DWB, it was like finding kindred spirits. You two truly are the Statler and Waldorf of Who fandom, <laughs> as one of your show descriptions says. But even when you take aim at the current state of Doctor Who, it's always earned because your well-reasoned critiques are based on your long history and deep love of the program. Even Rob's occasional rants were easy to sympathise with. You both became great interviewers too. The interviewers were real give-and-take conversations that brought out a lot of terrific information from your guests without being dry Q&A sessions. And what a fun roster of ongoing features, the coverage of books of all kinds, deep dives into complete Doctor eras, 
the Omni Rumor Saga, and what a saga it is, <laughs> aside from me, the top five countdowns, your Christmas parties with Richard and Dave, and of course, the irreverent and irreplaceable drag from the archives. Even the show descriptions on your website were great fun to read, and great fun to write, actually, uh, from me. Uh, and special kudos uh, to Mark for all the fantastic musical cuts and post-credit Easter eggs. I have a new level of lack of appreciation for Doctor of Distress, <laughs> as do we all. As do we all. In an endless sea of podcasts that blend into each other, 42 to Doomsday really stood out. Two friends having us over to chat, catch up and chat about our favourite show. I hope the tides of time bring you back to the microphones very soon. It will be a desert out there without you. Keep punching, Gary Akers. Thank you, Gary. When I, I sent that to Rob, he wrote back and said, that was lovely. Should we stop? <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing to hear your letters coming from America and all over the world saying they listen to us. I mean, you know, it's just, it's incredible, isn't it, really? I think when we started doing this, we just had opinions that we wanted to voice and we weren't quite sure what sort of listenership we would, you know, develop over time. So, um, it, as you say, it's, it's, it's quite humbling to get letters like that from people who, you know, just, they all know about us is what they hear on, on their <laughs> podcast. So. Yeah, and, and as for the musical uh, the musical cuts, look, I'm pretty proud of the fact that I think uh, we were the only Doctor Who podcast in the world to play. Uh, and the only podcast to put the 12-inch <laughs> remix at the end. So far, we haven't had a, litter, a royalty litter of demand for that, so... <laughs> Everyone should just keep that on the down low. That would be appreciated. Ian, ten pounds is on the way. <laughs> uh, that was really great to hear that, Gary. So, look, thank you very much for that. Uh, Bernard Duff, long time listener, Bernard Duff, who also goes on Twitter, uh, Bernard JKD. He uh, he posted on our uh, Facebook page and says, "What started out as a mild curiosity in a Nigerian TV outstation <laughs> has turned into quite the spirit of adventure." Yes, we're all in our jostics, aren't we, Rob? We yeah. are. Joss. Yes. Yeah, very good. Thank it's you. um. We did sort of make our name on the Omni Rumor, I think, a little bit, didn't we? Uh, yes. We, we rode that horse until it was dead and then just kept on flogging <laughs> we keep it. Flogging it. <laughs> much, much as Phil Morris is flogging his uh, notoriety. Exactly. Yes. Uh, and Adrian Sturrock also uh, put something on our Facebook page. I like the way you've aligned the timing of your exit with your beloved Stephen Moffat. And I'm wondering when Rob will change his signature on Gallifrey Base to no longer say that he and Mark have a new podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, uh, what can I say? I'm slack. <laughs> uh, unsurprisingly, I go to two forums on Gallifrey Base, the Missing Episodes thread, and just to see if anyone uh, has, has read my Travers and Wells novella. How's that going? No one has actually... There's no commentary on Gallifrey Base. No one has reviewed it. No one has made any comment that they've received it. Apparently, there are of the 400 um, limited edition hardcovers, mm. there are five left. There's actually Candy Jar having a sale this weekend as we record, so there's only five left. And you had a signing today. I had a signing, a signing of one. <laughs> Lord Melbourne has the only signed copy in the world. And so it, it, please approach him through us and we can arrange a sale. Yeah, he'll swap you for um, empty can. <laughs> there, there, there is a slight chance, and um, no one has, uh, this hasn't been signed off. There's a slight chance that there may be, may be a paperback version later of uh, the novella, but uh, don't hold me to that. It hasn't been announced or even I haven't signed anything with regards to it. So Okay. As to Adrian's first point about the aligning of the timing, uh, I, I responded to him and just like George Bush said, mission accomplished. <laughs> uh, this one was from uh, Damon Habin uh, and the subject line says, gutted to hear you're going. Hi, 
I just wanted to say thank you. I found your podcast from the New to Who podcast. I started at the beginning and loved listening to them all, and I gutted you I'm ending the podcast. Fully understand the work that must go into the podcast and the time it takes up. But again, wanted to say thank you from another classic Who fan in his 40s who has been watching Who for as long as he can remember. Kindest regards, Damon. Thank you, Damon. He's gone back and listened to all of them. Have you ever gone back and listened to any episodes? No. No, because I, when, you, when you're editing them, well, I mean, obviously you record it and then you edit it. Mm. And then uh, invariably we swap edits just to mm. listen to it off a note. So you probably heard it two or three times before it actually goes live. So maybe one or two or three that I've listened to, but I haven't listened. I certainly haven't gone back to the very beginning. I'd be scared to go back to the pilot episode. We were very earnest, I think, Mark. We had enthusiasm. We had a lot of enth- well, a lot of enthusiasm. I remember the missing episodes one we did, where I was basically hectoring people not to contact places like the ABC or other television shows or programs in, in an effort to find missing episodes. I've actually changed on that. Go for your lives, people. <laughs> Just contact them. Just go for your life. If Phil Morris can do it, so can you. <laughs> and that was a public service announcement. <laughs> Occasionally, I might go back and listen to them. Um, not all the time, though, because I think, uh, well, I mean, obviously, we're stopping regular episodes. I might go back and listen to them and mm. see what it's like. But mm. the, the pilot one, I don't think. It's uh, only I half an hour, it, I think, isn't it, Mark? That's long enough, isn't that's it? That's long enough. Yeah. I remember the word who chat. <laughs> who, what dickhead came up with that? I think it was me. <laughs> but anyway, now here's a nice one. From JR Southall. Hello, JR. Hello, JR. He just said this. Just wanted to throw an email to say, while we always haven't seen eye to eye over Doctor Who, especially that nailed on classic that is Death in Heaven, it's been mostly a pleasure having you guys in my ears and I shall miss you. I shall especially miss the Omni Rima watch and I'm crossing my fingers in the hope that there will one day be some good news enough to see you resurrecting yourselves in happy times. So go forward and all your, yeah, 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 you know the score. Keep punching, JR. Thank you, JR. <laughs> Uh, death in heaven, yes. <laughs> Look, I've got a very nice desk here. Do you mind not destroying it? It is very, very nice. It's sort of a laminate desk. Don't you? Yeah. I've, I've got problems with my hand, so I'm not I'm punching it. I'm sorry to hear that. But uh, <laughs> we haven't seen eye to eye of a doctor. Yes, you could say that. But, no. you know, it's good to have different opinions, I think. It's good. Yes. And, and Jay was an early supporter of the podcast, came yes. on quite early. And um, uh, look, no fan will ever see eye to eye, but that's yeah. just how you conduct yourself. And um, yeah. Yeah, we had good fun every time he did he did come on. So uh, thank you, JR. So. This one is from David Kitchen, our, our long-time guest. Yay, Aldi faithful. Stalwart of the show. Dear Robin Markey begins, Your fun New Year's episode prompted me to send you one final letter for old time's sake. Given that Moffat is now an ex-showrunner, can we pretend that both the War Doctor and the Sex Toy Doctor never existed? <laughs> and the Doctors are now once again correctly numbered. We can, we can always pretend, Dave, always. I, I, I should go with Dave's theory. Yes, see, who, who are you talking about? If so, in the Christmas episode, we witnessed the moment between the Doctor's 12th and final incarnation. Is the destruction of the TARDIS something to do with the creation of the Valiad? I await your thoughts. No, Dave, I don't think it is at all. <laughs> it does sound like a big finish story waiting to happen, though. <laughs> oh, big finish. Uh, Dave signs off. Uh, Thanks for all the fun from the podcast over the years, and I'm sure we'll hear from you again sometime soon. Regards, Dave, who (laughs) his signature is from the Doctor Who show, the Geese Pirate Podcast, Spaceful, a Blake Seven podcast, and probably dozens more if he's not careful. Plug, plug. (laughs) Actually, I think the Spaceful podcast starts on the 22nd of February. I think so. I believe that is correct. Yeah, so definitely tune in for that one. And I think they're also considering a Are You Being Served podcast as well. And followed by Mash, maybe. I don't know. Yes. Uh, And look, thanks to Dave. Always really pleased to have Dave on. Very thoughtful fellow. Younger fellow than us. Yeah, no, very thoughtful, very smart. uh, Great incisive commentary on the show. Um, And uh, uh, we'll miss having him on regularly. But um, 
Oh, look, absolutely. I mean, uh, that was a great thing about those Christmas episodes, getting those boys together. Uh, you know, just talking about Doctor Who like we have been for the last 20 years. So One sorry. of the regrets I have is actually not... We, we did talk about um, doing a Doctor Who... Religion cast. And long planned for and never actually happened. So who knows? Who knows? Yeah, look, knows? Yeah, we might be able to re- resurrect that at some point, but uh, yes. Yes. Now, the next one here is from Kieran Hyman, who again is a long-time writer in. Is that right, Mark? That's right. He's also got a fantastic Twitter handle, uh, Rambler sixty six, I think it is. I think that's right. Why and, you and check that out. Yeah, colorizations are brilliant, Kieran. They're absolutely brilliant. What you do, so uh, maybe you can try start colorizing that film can I'm showing today. <laughs> now, once upon a midnight dreary, I think it was early two thousand and fourteen or so, I happened to stumble across an online article about the recently released Omni rumor. Interested as I was, I clicked on the link only to find that it wasn't an article at all, but a podcast. Having never listened to a podcast before, I begrudgingly gave a portion of my life to listening to 42 to Doomsday, episode 16. On clicking play, I was swiftly greeted by the soothing voice of a man, clearly from the West Country, (laughs) announcing that we would be talking about Doctor Who for the next hour in lieu of me having to. Then followed what I came to appreciate as the greatest theme tune known to Doctor Who podcasting. Is that the Jeff Love? Yes. It is. Yes. Uh, the only discussion that followed was very interesting, and I believe that there were two other blokes on the recording, but they didn't seem to want to get a word in. <laughs> we didn't get a word in that one. <laughs> in the end, in the end, it turned out that the Somerset man was actually from a different podcast. <laughs> and after giving that a listen, I was ultimately led to the greatest Doctor Who podcast of all, Radio Free Scarrow. <laughs> so thank you to Mac and Rod for all you have given me by bringing Stephen, Chris, and Warren into my life. For this, I shall but forever be grateful. Long live RFS. More like FFS. <laughs> See the keep punching, keep punching, Kieran Hyman. Thanks, Kieran, we think. <laughs> we are the gateway drug for lesser podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> We're like a toll road. And off you go. Off you That's, go. Yeah. Thanks very much for that, Kieran. That was great. Uh, and also, we, I put on Twitter last week, have uh, anybody got any final things I want to say to us? And uh, the Who 37 podcast uh, tweeted back and said, many of the Doctor Who podcasts have faded away this past year. Is this the right time to get out of the game? Soon we'll only have RFS, Verity, Two Minute Time Lord and Reality Bomb, which might as well all be one podcast because you all cross-pollinate on each other's shows. It's sad that smaller and more diverse voices in Doctor Who fandom have faded away, and I fear that all we will be left with will be the rat pack of Doctor Who podcasting world. I've enjoyed your show. Godspeed to you. Some people might think we're the rat pack. (laughs) (laughs) I think that the fellows from Who 37 shouldn't be too worried uh, about um, a homogenisation of the Doctor Who podcasting world. you just got to recognise what you're getting with, say, Verity and Two Minute Time Lord, etc., etc., as he says, they do cross-pollinate one another, and that's, that's, that's fair enough and fine enough. But um, I think there'll be other podcasts that come along. I think you might have, even have a, a, a slew of um, female voices coming along with Jodie Whittaker. I mean, if you look at the, the Doctor Who Podcasting Alliance, and they've got two lists there. One is like active podcasts, and there's another inactive podcast. So basically, as soon as one stops, another two or three Mm. Uh, take its place when we started we wanted to try and be different in a sense but really I mean we just sort of latched on to just chatting about a subject so I think you can put a Doctor Who podcast into three categories chat reviews mm-hmm. great journey through the series so that's all I'm sort of seeing at the moment um, and maybe I'm not sort of listening to enough but uh, I think as soon as one stops other two or three or 18 spring up so yeah. you know it is what it's like fan scenes you know fan scenes you used to stop another two or three used to, yeah. so basically it's a full circle as a former guest of Andrew Smith said yeah there's a low barrier to entry I mean looking at our setup here I mean you buy you buy yourself a decent set of, of microphones for quite reasonable money now 
the software that we're using to record is Audacity, which is free. Mm. Skype, when you know Mark and I would uh, record from our homes, our respective homes, is free. It's it's very easy to get into the market. So I mean, if there are people out there who are just sort of wanting to um, get into podcasting, but I, I, as I said much earlier in our run, give it a go. It's it's re- relatively cheap. The only only thing that you have to consider is it is and can be a massive time drain in terms of editing it and, and getting it ready. Um, we we have never been able to sit down and hit record and just do it in one go. I mean, no, we we, uh, we misspeak. We stumble over our words. Uh, we say potentially libelous or slanderous <laughs> things uh, that do require <laughs> careful consideration. Uh, and occasionally, uh, you'll you'll hear Mark with the beeper there, just covering covering up the, the swearing. So, but other than that, I mean, the show's about to enter a new era, and potentially, hopefully, a new vibrant era. There's no reason why people can't do it. Exactly right. And present, yeah. present different voices and different opinions. Yeah. I mean, we're two middle-aged white men droning on about Doctor Who. Yeah. Um, I'm sure there are you know people out there who are itching to say something. Go for it. The guys from New to Who tweeted a picture of their setup and it had like pop shields and, oh, no, was ridiculous. and, and mixers and everything like that. Not ridiculous. It was no, very professional. It was very professional, but we've only got one microphone here plugged into a crappy laptop <laughs> <laughs> and we're drinking bottles of water. That's, yeah. that, that's the extent of my generosity here today. Well, we're <laughs> with water. Yeah, exactly. Now, uh, speaking of the New to Who guys, uh, Stephen B contact us on Twitter. Hello, Stephen. Uh, Stephen's a Duran Duran fan, so we get on quite well. Mm. And he says, uh, what are the best parts of and personal highlights in doing a podcast together over the over the last few years? What will you miss the most? Well, talking to you, Mark, basically. We talk regularly via email, uh, our work emails, um, but uh, talking to you about a show that we that is exasperating and also very you know entertaining and, and a, was a great part of our childhood. Mm. Uh, I think that's probably... The thing that I'll most miss. Um, yeah, what about you? I think, uh, like you said, I think the dynamic between us worked quite well. Um, you're the more serious one. I'm the. I was always trying to get the jokes. <laughs> you know, um, there's plenty of things that I'll, I'll miss. You know, in terms of interacting. I mean, we're going to keep the Twitter account going and the Facebook pages. I'm all. We'll, we'll definitely check. I think you've been checking it more than me recently. Mm. Should you get that password fixed, mate? Oh yeah, no, yeah. I think I think it was uh, Michael Grade One. I think we'll have to double check that. We won't stop talking about Doctor Who because no. you know, me and you will obviously catch that, up, obviously, that, and we'll still catch up with Dave and Richard and talking or like, bitching about Doctor Who. Well, same thing, really. You know, so I mean, we'll still go out for pubs and yeah, and that, sure. so you know, that, that stuff won't won't change. But um, I won't miss Audacity. I'll put it that way. No, um, no. you know, that could burn in hell, frankly. Um, the best parts out of it is obviously you know talking to Rob on, on a regular basis, but just connecting with fans all over the world mm. you know and other podcasts there's some great podcasters out there and they've all you know all become friends and support each other in, in, in various ways which is great uh, personal things for me was also reconnecting you know from listening to this podcast my pen friend mm. from the 80s reconnected with me Pete. hello Pirate Pete for listening that's amazing yeah. you know after 25 years hiatus yeah. uh, and him contacted me because he heard me talking about you know videotape trading and he put two and two together much more better than me and the interesting thing is um, Mark and I uh, I've known of Mark for 20 odd years but mm. his circle of Doctor Who friends from the Victorian Club was different to my circle yes. of friends even though there's a bit of cross-pollination you, mm. you come in you exited from the, the, the committee uh, before I sort of actually joined mm. I think I had been interested in doing a podcast for a while and having, I think having spoken to you and having shared some emails you expressed some sort of interest so I actually just took the plunge and said look would you be interested yeah it was a bit like a, court, a courting mark in, in a sense just to see sending out his interest I think I was Mr Darcy I was going to be <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's right we were sending emails we met in the coffee shop and then you know we sort of had uh, views on what it could be and mm. and remember at the time when we started you know there was only one 
one and a half Doctor Who podcast, I think, at the time. Um, in Australia. In Australia. Mm. Um, you know, we, there's only like two podcasts when we first started, now there's like three or four. Yeah. For a small country For a small well. country as well. I mm. mean, the UK and Canada and, and America are just, you know, producing podcasts left, right and centre, but Australia has always been that, and also New Zealand as well, always been that, we just haven't really sort of uh, latched onto it as much in mm. terms of Doctor Who. So, you know, I'm not very good at public speaking, and I think the podcast has helped me in terms of public speaking a lot more. Like, I, you know, I can go to meetings a lot, I don't know, a bit more confidence and say, oh, so that's true. I've you're got... wrong a lot <laughs> to people. <laughs> Which I did the other day. <laughs> you other say it with confidence, Matt. It's in more bizarre things. Remember the band musical Youth, Pass the Duchy, the song Pass the Duchy? No. I think it was in a conversation with somebody. It was Bernard JKD about musical youth, and, and we made a comment about And I said, I thought they died in a bus accident. Next thing you know, they responded. No, we're still alive. Pass it. <laughs> musical So, hello, if you're listening. Being retweeted by the official Duran Duran uh, Twitter account when I showed a picture of my uh, 1982 uh, copy of uh, Rio. Mm. I'm very happy with that. And also, I think the greatest triumph is uh, being followed by Jeff Love. <laughs> the great man himself. <laughs> the great man himself. Uh, yeah, so... Uh, Actually, just for me, the, one of the most remarkable things was in the wake of... We, we released an episode about Capaldi, I think, didn't we? And we hashtagged it um, when we were announcing it on Twitter. And we got sixteen or 17,000 downloads for that one episode oh, that's before right. he was announced or he's going on some sort of world tour yeah. I think and I, you, we were just looking at the download numbers every day on Hipcast which is, hosts the podcast and you know seeing massive numbers like that was just truly remarkable yeah. you, you, I mean not all of them stayed of course no 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 the, the, the nothing compares to who won didn't uh, didn't do that but even like the one we did with Rob Lloyd in terms of um, I think it was a comedy one we did mm. uh, that that was getting you know 17 18,000 Downloads. I mean, that's insane. You yeah, know. it's just crazy. Um, I mean, and even the, I mean, as I said in the um, when I spoke to Dave Hoskin in the last episode for the for his original conversation with us, there's eleven or twelve thousand downloads of, of that particular episode, which just goes to show that a everyone loves missing episodes, and mm. b um, you know I think we've become a bit of a, a trusted voice with regards to that topic anyway. Perhaps you know, all don't... peddlers of misinformation. <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I don't quite know. Fake news. <laughs> With the Sean Spicer and Kerry Ann Conway of, of missing episodes. I do look good in blonde, so... Yeah, yes. exactly. A warning to other Doctor Who podcasts. So if I hear... ...on any other podcast, I'll certainly set the lawyers around because, let's be honest, you'll never hear me uh, or us nicking sound effects from other Doctor Who podcasts. Hey, hey, hey! I like it! I can tell you that. So, yeah, I think that's that's pretty much it in terms of the feedback and everything like that and our thoughts of, of doing the podcast. Clearly, we appreciate all the feedback that we've got over the last four and a bit years. It, mm. um, it, it's, uh, again, it's humbling that people uh, who, who, who listen take the time to, to, to respond either on Twitter or Facebook or, or sending emails in. And thank you to everyone who has... Uh, who has uh, has taken that time to do that? It's 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 really it's 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 wonderful. Actually, it's really wonderful. Exactly, especially when you you know realise it all from all over the world and mm. listening to us ranting exactly. from our respective <laughs> homes, courtesy of the MBN when it works. Uh, well, I don't have the MBN, and it always works well, for me. Um, remember that one with bloody yeah, Rob. Was oh, that went down. That was strange. That was bizarre. But yes. um, yeah, it's uh, so. What are we going to be doing next, Rob? In terms of books and things are you doing anything? Oh, well I'm in, the, I'm in the middle of, uh, of, of writing a novel of, when I say in the middle I'm, I'm closing in on finishing it thank God for, for Candy Jar again I unfortunately can't comment on what that is but there'll be announcements later in the year it's proving to be an interesting uh, interesting experience writing it mm. um, but uh, I'll, I'll get that out of the way and uh, I can finally sleep a bit easier 
But yeah, no, it'll, uh, again, that, that'll be announced towards the middle of the year. It's not River Song and Professor Travers, is no, it? Christ, no, no. Christ, no. <laughs> what about you? I'm also writing a book. You are? Um, yes, yeah, called The Film and the Fury Inside Phil Morris's Warehouse. <laughs> and I'll also be doing the audio reading as well. <laughs> the wind's blowing in the right direction, mate. <laughs> it began blowing out of Nigeria. <laughs> you can't. I'll swing in on my, on my whip. <laughs> yeah, no, um, I won't be doing anything, really. Taking a break, enjoying the free time. Um, it's funny, I don't know how we managed to do two episodes a month, or one every two weeks, Yeah, uh, when we started, for a year almost. Yeah, I beggar's belief. I know, I think maybe the kids were younger then, I'm not too uh, sure. Look, I, I'm, my, my long-suffering wife was obviously very um, very patient with me, but uh, yeah. look, I mean... And I take my hat off to all those podcasts who can do a weekly podcast, oh, yeah. a weekly yeah. release. I mean, it's just, it, it is remarkable that they managed to do it because the effort to get it all done, to, 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 to do the research, to gather the material, to squirrel away the time for a couple of hours every week, and then to edit the, edit the thing and release it on a regular schedule. Mm. I mean, they're the reason why those particular podcasts are the most followed, I suppose, and have the yeah. biggest numbers. Yeah. Even though for some reason a lot of them have Patreon accounts, I've never understood that. It's not that expensive to run a podcast. When I was in fandom in the late 80s and early 90s, we always had the view that, you know, it was a love of the show. We never made any money from it. We have made cracks about it over our time, subtly. Uh, or less subtly. Or less though. subtly, yeah. But, uh, look, it does gall me a bit about, um, yeah, as you said, posting costs don't cost much at all. Well, look, I'll tell, I'll tell people, I'll tell people yeah. what it costs. Yeah. The microphones we bought uh, four years ago were $130 Australian. Yeah. All the software is free. I've already had a laptop, mm-hmm. and the hosting fees are $20 a month, which we split between us, which yeah. is obviously $10 a month. Yeah. So why the need for a Patreon account, I don't understand. That and the fact that you're riding on the intellectual property coattails of the BBC. Mm. You're making money off the back end of, of Doctor Who. Mm. If you can't afford to run your podcast on such a minimal budget, don't go cap in hand to your fans. Either shut it down or swallow the cost, the minimal cost. I, yeah. I've never really understood. If you're a writer or a musician or an artist mm. and, and, and you need Patreon to supplement your income, that's fine because that's your own IP. Mm. But everyone who's doing it off the back of Star Trek or Star Wars or Doctor Who or, you know, um, Homeland or whatever show that you're doing, and I, I, you know, I, I have an objection to it personally. Yeah. yeah, it does rankle a bit. My son came up to me, he goes, oh... I need to get more money for my YouTube account. I'm going to open a Patreon account. I said, no, you're not, son. <laughs> we so, do this for the love of it. We yeah. do this for the chance to talk to our, talk to each other about mm. you know, the show, mm. for good or for bad, yeah. and hopefully have an audience out there who appreciates the fact that I think we can be you know, as open and honest with our opinions. That's so right. That's, that's the reason why we did the podcast. Yeah. Now, I mean, obviously, we appreciate that our views on the new <laughs> series didn't match those who, who clearly love and adore it. I think that overall, Mark, and I, I hope you agree... Uh, we were a voice for a great number of fans, and uh, for that, we think the podcast was well worth doing. Absolutely, don't you? absolutely, absolutely agree. I think uh, you know we called it out. If we didn't like it, we called it out, and if yeah. we liked it, we called it out. We didn't want to sit there and hate it every week because it's that it didn't align to what my perceptions of what Doctor Who should be, hmm. and that could just be I'm an old fuzzy daddy. But even in some cases, to me, it wasn't even good television. I'd hmm. rather go and watch something else. Exactly, exactly. You know, so uh, at least look, we were honest. You can't say we weren't honest. Uh, up until the lawyers got involved. So. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Stephen Wall will sort out the settlement yeah. later. But uh, we've had a number of guests on our show. We've actually been really lucky to have a number of guests, haven't we, Mark? We have. Um, so I'm just going to go through the list of, of people we've had on. We've had Aaron from uh, Low Boss Collectibles in, uh, in Northcote here in Melbourne. Uh, spoke very, very well about merchandise and all that sort of thing. Correct. We were really thrilled to have uh, Richard Marsden on. Uh, do we have him on twice? 
what we did was we had him doing the Verity Lambert book and then we recorded him doing uh, a section on the hiatus which we dumped into a happy okay. hiatus episode. He, so. He's a really fine fellow. He, yeah. He, wonderful talker. We had Andrew Smith on. Yep. Um, again, another... It's interesting that these creators can speak so well. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're not lost for words or anything like that. John O'Park from uh, Zeus Plug, is that yeah, right? Zeus, in in yeah, New Zealand? Plug, yeah. New Zealand's only Doctor Who podcast? No, I think we've got two now. Two now? I think. Okay. Choice, right. bro. Poor... Paul Schoons, uh, of course, from again from New Zealand. Daya Southall, of course. Uh, John Preddle, Doc Hume from the the, uh, the Diddly Dumb podcast. Really thrilled actually to have David J. Howe on, um, who yes. uh, co-wrote the the, uh, the 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 decades books. Yes, um, he's a he's fantastic. He was, yeah, that uh, was a really good. Yeah, we really enjoyed doing yeah. that with him. Uh, Tom uh, M, who appears on the uh, the Goodies uh, Pirate Podcast, yeah, uh, he, he appeared very early on. I remember that time we were in that politician's office. Talking <laughs> <laughs> about it wasn't Barnaby's either. <laughs> No, there were no uh, brass hanging from the ceiling. <laughs> no, um, no. We had Rob Irwin on once or twice, I think. I think it was on once. Once? For the Doctor Who show. Doctor Who show, yeah. exactly. Uh, Rob Lloyd, uh, Melbourne's own uh, Rob Lloyd, the uh, comedian. Uh, friend of the podcast. Friend of the podcast. Uh, yeah. Rob's actually a great bloke. He's yeah. a really good bloke. Yeah, uh, David Kitchen, of course. Uh, thank you, Dave, actually, for hosting us. I'm, we're, I'm repairing there again tomorrow for a... Oh, yes. For <laughs> Doctor Who. I've got Have to come an out for me. <laughs> I have to come out here again now for the, do- for the Goodies Pirate podcast. Uh, uh, and he's uh, co-host Richard yes. um, who again who has uh, appeared on the show um, uh, particular thanks to Richard actually for um, appearing on a couple of episodes when you were um, away yes uh, that's like, right in yes. the middle of yeah. last year and a computer games one as well yes oh but the, the stories you could tell about the computer <laughs> and of course Dave Hoskin who is writing uh, as we speak Chasing Shadows uh, Dave uh, again great to have you on and always thinking of you and uh, hopefully thinking of you and your book and uh, we hope to have that out soon and uh, certainly looking forward to catching up for dinner with you uh, once again. Absolutely, at our favourite Thai restaurant in Melbourne. So. And if we've forgotten anyone, I think I went through all the episodes when I should have been doing work and uh, <laughs> I pulled up all the names. If there's anyone there who wasn't there, who was on who wasn't there, please give us a plug, uh, give us a shout out. And, we'll and we also did specials out. as well. We did DVD We did DVD commentaries on Doctor in Distress. Uh, I think we're the world's <laughs> first podcast who tried, attempted a big finish one and then stopped. <laughs> <laughs> stop before we went mad and stop before we went mad but uh, I think that's it so my advice to you is don't delete us off your feeds because we will come back at one point yeah I, we originally were just going to cancel it entirely weren't we yeah. Mark but I yeah. think we've had a, a bit of a rethink and um, for me uh, we I don't think we'll be coming back until later in the year mm. I want to get this book out of the way before I do yeah. anything else and I, we've we've spent all this time building up a bit of an audience and a brand mm. Which is a, a harsh marketing way to describe it, I suppose. <laughs> I feel I feel cheap. But, but uh, look, yeah. we, I think we still have things to say. Absolutely, but not just not as regularly. No. So I think um, build it all up and then just let it go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I think uh, towards the end of the year, as you were saying before, we we, we probably should do a, a Christmas special for t- yeah. twenty eighteen. Yeah. Um, and and just see what happens. I mean, there's always events happening in Doctor Who that, that merit um, discussion. At some point, Phil Morris is going <laughs> to get off the uh, off the pot. And, uh, and and say something you would think, mm. but uh, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. So look, uh, we might do a Christmas special. So Dave and Richard, uh, we might uh, speak to your respective agents. But uh, <laughs> I'm looking forward to just watching watching Doctor Who without actually having to think about it and just watch it for what it is. And then yeah, it'd be good. But um, I think that's it. That's it. So thank you, Rob. Thank you, Mark. Thanks, buddy. Shaking hands. Shaking folks. hands. We're virtually shaking hands. Virtually Thanks shaking. to all our families as well for putting up with our. Oh, we're going to be recording a podcast tonight. <laughs> and then, where are you, Mark? I'm, re- I'm editing again. So uh, thank you for our respective families for their patience and uh, understanding. Uh, understanding and Even though this is perfectly under- not understandable. <laughs> As I keep saying, look, it could be worse. It could be at the pub, you know, taking hardcore drugs and betting on horses. So, you know. 
Well, we're going to do that now. We are actually. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to get the Blackburn Hotel for a quick bevy. Can you hear that, Rob? I can hear the Murray Gold Castrati Choir building up in the background. Oh no, not Murray Gold. <laughs> Piss off, Murray. I do want to go. I've been Rob. And I've been Mark. Keep punching.
now.